information about me is a little dated. Am I on? All right. I'm no longer the pastor of Lee Creek Baptist Church. I now work with churches who are in some form of trouble, and I help pastors that are in some form of trouble. The quickest way to tell you what I do is I work with churchless pastors and pastorless churches. And um, I do that full-time now. I'm still a member of Lee Creek Baptist Church. I was actually on the search committee to find my replacement. And I'm happy to report to you that my pastor will be there on the scene Easter Sunday morning. I did something. I did something about two weeks ago I haven't done in 20 years. You know what it was? I bought my pastor's lunch. I ain't had a pastor for 20 years. But I've got a job to do tonight. And I saw in the brochure, the flyer that you have, that it was 6 to 8. And I was already a little nervous because, well, I'm just a hillbilly from Arkansas. Let's get the elephant out of the room. There's not much up here, okay? And I thought, you've got a pastor that I've got to know, and he's, he's, he's sharp. Y'all know that. And I thought, man, I've got to follow him, and they want me to preach a two-hour sermon. <laughs> and I, I'm doing good to scratch up 30 minutes. And so, I mean, I, I drilled in, and I have a two-hour exposition. And I have a time to deliver it. I have a, a text to preach from and a title for the message already. And I've prayed about this. I've got a few things to, uh, to bring to you. I hope it'll be a blessing to you. I love you people. I can tell you're God's people by the way you act, the way you interact. I appreciate you for putting this on. I appreciate you for supporting your pastor. He is a blessing. I do enjoy uh, visiting with Brother Randall. Let's read the text together. Then I'll bring you five points from this, from this passage of Scripture. And then we'll, uh, we'll close. The Bible says in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, I don't like somebody telling me what to preach. I don't like somebody giving me a title to my sermon. And here's the main reason. I'm a plow horse preacher. I just plod through the Bible slowly, building on top of verse, building on top of verse, building on top of verse. And when someone says, hey, preach this text and talk about this, I'm like, I don't have these capacities. I don't don't have these abilities just to, to grab these things out of thin air. And so I just do what I always do, which is I'll just take each verse, I'll give you a, a thought, and then I'll, I'll read the verse, we'll break it down, I'll say a few stories, and then we'll go to the next verse, and I'll give you a thought, and we'll just go through there, and maybe, hopefully, I will cover His power regenerates. All right? The first thing I want to talk to you about is there in verse 4, I want to talk about manifestation. His manifestation. In verse 4, it's very clear that God 
reveals himself to us in Christ Jesus. But after the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. But after. I like it when God butts in, don't you? A lot of times you'll be reading scripture and you're like, "Mm." (laughs) hmm, that's true. Sometimes you'll read it and not only say that's true, you'll say, that's me. I'm that guy. I wrestle with that. He's talking about me, but God. Man, when God butts in like that, I like it. So God butts in here, and here's what God butts into us to say. But after. After what? The kindness and love of God. Kindness and love. Do you know what the word kindness means in the Greek? Kindness. Love is agape or agapo, one of those kind of words. It's that unconditional love that we always hear about. But the, the word agape here is not the word agape like, like we would think. The word here, love, is a different word. It's the word philos, where we get the word philanthropy. It means someone who's kind to people or does kind acts. And so Charles Spurgeon, in commenting on this verse, he called it the philanthropy of God. He said God is a philanthropist. So God here has this brotherly love, this kindness, this gentleness, this this generosity that he gives out to us in the person of, look at our text with me again, our Savior. I like that word, our Savior. Not your Savior. Not his Savior. Not her Savior. Our Savior. When we use the word our, I'm included in the group. I like being in that group. I don't like being in theirs and them. When the Bible talks about them that are without, when it talks about they which do this, I like that when the Bible says we and ours and mine. Friend, listen to me. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and you don't know him in that manner, you only know him as a good teacher, a philanthropist. Boy, i got to quit saying that word. I'm going to make a fool of myself here in a minute. If you only know Jesus Christ as a man who was a good guy and had some, some wise sayings, kind of a Benjamin Franklin of his day with a bunch of riddles and wise sayings, no, you can't say he's our Savior. You can say he's their Savior. He's the Savior of those who believe upon him. But this generosity, this kindness, this philanthropy of God that's poured out to us is our Savior. If you don't have Christ as your Savior, you have not experienced the full kindness and generosity of God. You simply have experienced the general love of God to all humanity where He causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust, the rain to, shine, to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. I'm down here with you guys in Texas and it's sunshine. A tornado went by my house just a little bit ago. I'm sitting in Randall's house talking to Ricky and Derek, and my phones, I'm getting text messages. You better take cover. <laughs> Cracking out the blinds there. I'm like, oh, we're good. I get another text message. It's headed right for y'all. So I'm like, I better call somebody. My wife's like, yeah, it's, there's a hailstorm here. I'm like, <laughs> I'm in Texas. And I went, wait a minute, I drove her car to Texas. She's in my truck. There's a general love of God that says you're going to get rain and you're going to get sunshine. But there's a special love of God in our Savior. 
And if you don't know the our Savior part, you haven't experienced this love of God that we're talking about tonight. This is a manifestation of our God. Now, let's go back and look at this text again. But after the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man, appeared. Let's deal with that word, appeared. The word appeared is a Greek word that we get the English word epiphany from. I don't know how to pronounce it in the Greek, but I know it looks a whole lot like epiphany. All right? If you want to know more about it, your pastor's a Greek uh, scholar. He can explain it to you. But here's what I do know. The Greek word means literally to shine the light on. To shine the light on. I know y'all have a lot of deer down here like we have there. Have you ever heard of the deer in the headlight look? You know, the deer just kind of freezing like, whoa, what's this? You know? When the love of God appeared to us who have Jesus as our Savior, we got that, whoa. We got that light shining on us. We're now illuminated. But here's what you need to understand about this word epiphany. Lights just reveal what's already there. Hey, I want you to think about this. Whether you believe in my Lord Jesus Christ or not, He's Lord. I don't care if you believe it. I don't care if you want to leave the lights turned off in the room. Put your hands over your eyes and say, I don't believe in Him. I don't believe in Him. I don't believe in Him. God has opened up the lights to me. God has pulled the curtain back to Harold Smith. God has shined a light on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know who He is. I don't know about you, but I know who He is. Therefore, I know this love that God has poured out because I see it. It was always there. It's blinded by disbelief. It's blinded by Satan. It's blinded by hatred of our God. But for those of us whose eyes he's opened, he's real. I've seen him. I've seen him. How did you see him, preacher? Did he show up and dance around the foot of your bed? No. I saw him by faith. And one day I'll see him by sight. But you'll never convince me that he's not Lord. Why? Because God has flipped the lights on for Harold Smith. My prayer tonight is this. Sometime in the middle of this hillbilly's rambling, if you don't have the light switch on, God would flip the light on in your life. And you'd have, by the end of this message say, you know what, I think that little fat fella's right. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. I think he's on to something. I hope that's what you would do if you haven't done that already. You say, preacher, we've done that. Then I hope this message just reaffirms over and over and over again that Jesus Christ the power to regenerate us. Amen. The lights are on. We who believe know it. I'm going to go ahead and tell you something. If you live in the Bible Belt of America, you know this. You just don't want to see it. You know it. You've heard it. It's on a billboard. I drove here from Arkansas. I saw billboards. God's Ten Commandments, no less than five billboards between here and Arkansas. Jesus saves, John 3, 16, all kinds of Bible verses. I've seen it. You don't have to read your Bible. You watch a football game and Tim Tebow will have it under his eyelids and you'll know that there is a God and Jesus Christ is his son. The reason you have a problem with that is you don't like God, you don't like his son, and you don't like us who love him. The manifestation. Everything you need to know about Christ is available. It's being preached regularly in a pulpit near you. Now let's talk about our next verse, verse 5. Let's talk about the method. How does God do this work of regeneration? How does His power work? 
I like that hymn that says, I know not how the Spirit moves convincing men of sin. I don't know how He moves either. I can't figure it out. I'm preaching the gospel and I'm like, Lord, this brain surgeon needs to be saved because our church needs some financial support. But you see, I'm just a feeder of sheep. I don't get to go to the stockyard and buy them. I'm preaching. The Lord is calling his sheep to himself. And more often than not, he calls the poor and lowly. And that is the evidence that the gospel is being preached. The poor have heard and believed the gospel. (laughs) Hallelujah. So let's look at the method. Paul here in writing to Titus. He says this kindness, this love of God, our Savior toward man has appeared. Verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Not, not by the works of righteousness which we have done. We contribute nothing to our salvation. This is why mankind doesn't like biblical salvation. Mankind wants a salvation that he can help with. Mankind doesn't want to do it all. He wants to light a candle and say that did it. Mankind wants to count some beads over on an abacus. I slid eight beads over and uh, repeated a prayer, I'm saved. Mankind wants to come down to the front and respond to an invitation, raise his hand. Mankind wants somebody to tell him he's done enough. Mankind wants to help with his salvation. You remember that commercial, it's shake and bake and I helped? You ever see that little girl? Some of you are not old enough to get this, just wait, I'll have one for you in a minute. You ever seen that little commercial where the little girl goes, it's shake and bake and I helped. And that little girl's like four years old and she's got a Ziploc bag with a bag of chicken in it and some powder. And I'm like, honey, you didn't do nothing. (laughs) But moms in America were buying shake and bake, which is awful. But they were buying it because they could bring little sweetie in the kitchen and put her in a stool and she could shake a bag up and down and say she helped cook dinner. Why are you grinning and looking at me with your head sideways like this? (laughs) Every human being wants a God that will save them as long as he'll work with them and do it their way. We have a God that says, I don't do it your way. I don't need you. I don't require you to do anything. We don't have to climb the steps to a temple. We don't have to do some act. We don't have to go into the mountains. We don't have to go into the wilderness. We don't have to come and repeat a prayer after me. We have to do none of that. Our God saves because He's got the power to save. His power regenerates. And He'll regenerate with or without me. But let me tell you something. He makes me regenerate. He doesn't save me against my will. I'm not going to get to heaven and go, well, I don't want to be here. I wanted to be at hell with ACDC and all my other friends. Oh, no. And I don't just love him because he's bringing me to heaven. He made me love him because he first made me see I was a sinner. That didn't come through fancy preaching. That, that didn't come through some crafty speaker. That didn't come by repeating some prayer. That didn't come through some magical program developed in Nashville by the Southern Baptist Convention that will convert America to Christ. That didn't come that way. That come by the supernatural work of God working in the life of a believer so that he comes to God unarmed, empty-handed. Not the labors of my hand can fulfill thy law's demand. 
These for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Boy, we need to get back to singing that one. Because we got churches full of people that don't believe that. And they think they're going the same place we are. We contribute nothing. Say, preacher, all right, I'll follow along. I'll play along with your little scheme. How does it happen if we contribute nothing? The text says, verse 5, by the washing of regeneration. The word regeneration in the Greek, I cannot pronounce it there again. It's not written in Arkansan, it's written in Greek. The word regeneration literally means to be born back or born again. Have you ever heard a message about being born again? What's the fascination with that, right? Being born again is the only way that you experience the love of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, which has been shed abroad abundantly on us. It's only by being born again. You say, well, Brother Harold, I've been born again. I did this, this, and this. Whoa, 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 whoa. You don't do this, this, and this, and this to get born again. Let me prove that to you. How many of you picked your parents? How many of you picked mom and dad? Then quit complaining about the ones you got. That was the will of God for you. How many of you, how many of you picked the place in which you're born? I've heard, I've heard women say, well, he just decided to come today. I don't think babies have that kind of thing. I think God decided something. I've had women, I remember, the thing's a little dated. My daughter's grown and out of college. My son's got a full-time job. But I can think back to when my wife was getting concerned. Our daughter was supposed to have been born a week ago, according to the experts. And we were coming up on April Fool's, and she didn't want to have an April Fool's baby. So about March the 30th, we went and got castor oil. Because it said on the Internet, if you drink castor oil, you'll go into labor. I mean, my wife's over here drinking casserole. Didn't have a baby on the 30th. We had a baby on the 31st. The doctor was in there. I said, we drank casserole two days ago. He said, that'll just send you to the bathroom, not the, not the, uh, not the hospital. We couldn't pick a day in which she was born. God works these things out. So you didn't pick your parents. You didn't pick the place you were born. How many of you picked the period of time in which you were born? Nobody. Nobody. I was born April 9th, 1975. I turned 47 last Saturday. People have said, Brother Harold, you should have been born 100 years before then. I agree. I would go for 1875. The, the kind of preaching I do was popular back then. It's not so popular today. I would love to have been back then. But guess what? I can't sit and reminisce about the past and wish I was somewhere else. God, who picked my parents, picked the place in which I was born, also picked the period of time in which I would be born. For a time such as this. Because in 2022, Easter week, y'all are going to have a conference. And God's going to put a harebrained idea in Randall's head to have me come down and bring a message about it. Why? That's the work of God. And none of you had any hand in your own birth. So it's by the washing of rebirth. Washing is not baptism. I'm sorry where I turned off the highway. Those folks have it wrong. 
They got it wrong. They say, by the washing of your baptism, you are saved. And what they've done is what mankind wants, something to do to contribute to their salvation. So those folks up there and the duck men of Louisiana are all preaching the same message that you must be born again by baptism. The word baptism here is not the Greek word baptizo. It literally means to wash. It's to take a bath. It's to wash the old off, to wash the dirty off. It's to be cleansed, not baptism. This is a spiritual act. How do you know it's a spiritual act? It's done by the Holy Spirit, for crying out loud. (laughs) I think the Bible's pretty clear about this. It's not done at the creek. It's done in the heart. So, you say, preacher, all right, I, I know... I understand what you're saying about born. Yeah, but I'm saying you must be born again. And I told you, you contributed nothing to your salvation. If you want to argue about that, your salvation is a rebirth of you to a new person. You didn't pick your parents. You didn't pick the place you were born. And you didn't pick the period of time in which you were born. However, you're so bold and brazen to stand back and say, Oh, but when it come to my rebirth, boy, I had a hand in that. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Here's why this is important. When I was reborn, it wasn't by Harold and Patty Smith of Greenwood. It was by the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit from all eternity. When I was reborn, my parents were not earthly, they were heavenly. When I was reborn, the place in which I'm reborn to is not of this world. I'm just a pilgrim passing through. I'm a sojourner in a strange land. Jesus said if my people were of this world, they would fight. I'm not out holding the sword to someone's head saying, repent and believe the gospel. I'm out offering myself to be persecuted and struck down by the sword, preaching, repent and believe the gospel. Oh, let's talk about the period of time in which I've been reborn. I was born in 1975. This old body's got an expiration date. I'm going to bite the dust one of these days. Short, fat guys don't live long, probably sooner than you. Let's be honest. You say, Brother Howard, how do you talk that way about dying? Friend, listen to me. Dying's the beginning for me. Because I've been reborn, the sovereign supernatural work of God, my Father, Jesus Christ, my Savior, the Holy Spirit, my seal until the day of redemption, because I have that parentage in this place on the earth but ultimately going there for the period of time till I sin and lose my salvation. (laughs) No, this old body will die one of these days, but this eternal body will not die. Jesus promised us that those who are born again, the second death will have no ability to touch them. Now you tell me how you picked all these things in your first birth, and then you show me how you picked them all in your new birth. You can't do it, friend. His power regenerates. Your power, ready for this? This is noteworthy. His power regenerates. Your power 
cooperates. And he makes you cooperate. And he doesn't make you cooperate with a frown on your face. He makes you cooperate with a smile on your face. So, this is not merely a second chance. The regeneration of God, this power to regenerate, it's not where God merely saves you and says, well, Harold, there you go. Now, son, I got you up here on solid ground. Don't you fall back off in the miry clay. You say, Brother Harold, I know how I was before I was saved. What's the guarantee I'm going to stay saved? The guarantee is this. It's in our text. We go back and look at the text in verse 5. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. The renewing of the Holy Ghost. This is why it's not merely a second chance. This is why you don't get saved and lost and saved and lost and saved and lost and saved. You with me? You don't get saved and lost and saved and lost. You say, why do you say it so many times? Because people that preach that kind of junk... If they're honest, they get saved and lost every day. You tell me what sin interferes with your salvation. You tell me what sin it is that somehow removes the restraint of God off of you. I can't do nothing with him. I tried to save him. He broke the power of my grip and crawled out of my hand. What kind of God is that? No, when our God saves, he becomes the parent. He becomes the one who provides for us in the place we're in. He becomes the one with a period of time who guarantees our end. And he does this by the filling and indwelling and the sealing of the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians chapter 1 says he is the earnest. He's the down payment. He's the pledge. He's the seal. It's God's pledge money that he's going to come back and complete what he's begun. That's what it means to be renewed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit ensures our growth. He ensures that we continue moving forward. The Holy Spirit ensures that we don't stay in the spiritual nursery for the rest of our life after we're saved. You would be concerned if your kids wore baby clothes till they were 14. Wouldn't you? Well, that kid should be in some, some big kid clothes by now. I would be just as concerned about you spiritually if you said, I'm saved, and you still act like you didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ 13 years down the road. I'd say, no, you should be out of that onesie by now. <laughs> you should be out of that. We should be taking the little mittens off your feet and hands. You should be in some real spiritual clothing by this point. Because the Holy Spirit is constantly, the word renewing is present tense. He's constantly doing it. Do you know what that means? As a sheep, I'm eating and I look over and I see a greener pasture and I go wandering over there. He reaches out with that big hook and says, no, no son, we're eating over here. I'm eating over here and I look over and I see all my old billy goat buddies. You say, brother, how do you used to be a goat? Oh, I used to be an employee of Satan. I was ruled by the prince of the power of the air. And sometimes I look at my old goat friends and I say, man, it looks fun over there where they're at. You say, well, why do you keep coming back? Not because I'm smarter than my billy goat friends, but because the Holy Spirit is constantly renewing me, bringing me back here. 
I'm a new creature. I'm not that guy anymore. The sow, when she's washed, returns to the waller. The dog returns to his vomit. I'm no longer a dog. I'm no longer a sow. I'm a child of God. Last illustration. Some of you are looking at me like you just ain't got it. I'm going to give you an illustration. If you don't get this, I got nothing else. Just go ahead and go straight to sleep. Have you ever been to Walmart and saw a kid in there running up and down the aisles, throwing stuff in the floor, screaming, hollering, kicking the shopping cart? Mom couldn't do nothing with him. Why didn't you grab that little heathen by the back of his neck and drag him in the bathroom and wear him smooth out? Why not? Oh, he's not your child? You don't want to know why the billy goats have fun and the other pastor just over from me? Because the great shepherd ain't brought them back into the fold. You know why? They're not his sheep. The same reason you don't go discipline other children's, same reason that God ain't swift to discipline all the people that are running around doing, doing the things that the world does. I can't put it any plainer than that. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I know you think I skipped that little phrase there in the middle of verse 5 that said, but according to his mercy, he saved us. No, we've looked at the manifestation and the method. Let's look at the motivation. Why did God do it? He did it according to his mercy. He saved us. Notice that he butts in on us again there. Not by your works, but God butts in. Hey, I'll handle this one. This is above your pay grade, son. These are things you shouldn't be dabbling in. God butts in here and does it not according to my works, but according to his mercy. He didn't do it because you deserved it. He didn't do it because God owes you something. People all the time, well, I don't know why God don't do this and don't do that. Because He's God and you're not. He knows more than you know. It took me a long time to come to this conclusion, but I'm going to save you a lot of wonder and headache. God does what God wants to do and everything God does is right, even if I don't understand it. You say, how, do you, how can you trust Him like that? Because the light has shone on me. The epiphany has happened. And just because God hadn't turned the light on to some particular problem I don't understand doesn't mean that God's not doing what's right, what glorifies Him, and what's better for me. Hadn't been manifest. But I know His motives. It's not because we deserve it. It's not because we're lovable. Some people think that they're just so lovable that God couldn't resist them. Well, God has to save me. Look at all I've done for Him. It's not because we're faithful. A lot of people work themselves to death in a church trying to please a God and make themselves acceptable so that God will do something for them. God doesn't help us because we're faithful. He doesn't condescend to our level and save us out of the pit and lift us up by His power to regenerate because we're lovable, deserving, or faithful, or promising. Here's one. I hear people all the time say, if the Lord would just save Randy, he's got so much promise. Like God's up there going, boy, I need a Randy. Boy, I mean, we could fill this church if I just could find a Randy among all of them. Well, Randy's really smart, Brother Harold. If he would use what he has for God, what? God would all of a sudden have the key that unlocks the puzzle? I'm being, I'm being honest. 
Have you heard someone say, they have, they're promising, they have a lot of skills. If we could turn their hatred into love, you'd be God. True? God doesn't save us because we're promising. He doesn't save us out of obligation. God did not promise to save everybody. The angels have no gospel. A third of them followed Satan in the rebellion against our God to overthrow him and take the glory that belonged to only him. And God cast them out of his heaven permanently. And there is no gospel to angels if they will repent and believe. They have no plan of redemption. Mankind has a plan of redemption. And if Jesus Christ saved one person out of all of humanity, God could say, I've been merciful. I didn't save one angel. And I saved a human. Oh, but our God's not like that. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 says our God is rich in mercy. It's another one of them places where God butts in. But God, who is rich in mercy with his great love wherewith he loved us. It's like the same guy that wrote Ephesians is the same guy that wrote Titus. Inspired by the same Holy Spirit. <laughs> but God, who is what? Rich in mercy. Our God doesn't have a little bit. Our God's not up there going, eh, I think I might save one today. Our God's up there with the mercy bucket pouring it on him, just dumping it out. That's how merciful he is. He's rich in mercy. Go back and look at our text. It says it this way. But according to his mercy. If I have $10 and I give you a dollar, I gave you according to the $10 I have. I gave you 10%. Don't look at me like that's not very much. That's a tithe. What if I have $10,000 and I give you $1? You say, well, you could have done better than that, preacher. You got $10,000. How much mercy has God got to start with? According to that mercy is what he poured out upon us. There's his motivation. He's generous. God's not like a Southern Baptist tithing at church. God's generous. God gives and gives and gives. God has plenty to give. He keeps giving. He does this. And because He loves us, and according to His mercy, which He's rich in and has tons of, He just continues to pour out this method of His Spirit regenerating and washing people and making them new in Christ and cleansing them and keeping them safe. He continues to do that. Now let's look at the measure. The measure, verse 6. We see the manifestation, the method, the motivation, the measure, verse 6. Which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. This is a Trinitarian verse if there ever was one. Which he, God, shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. The being shed, which he, the Spirit, is shed by God on us. I said it was God, it was the Spirit. Whom is what most translations say in verse 6. It's the Holy Spirit that God sends on us through Christ our Savior. So let's put it this way. The Father sent out his Spirit by the payment of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, I must go unto the Father, but I will not leave you comfortless. 
I'm going to go and send the Spirit here. When Jesus was here, He was in one place, and if you weren't there, you weren't with Jesus. God was here. He was in human form. When God went to heaven, when Christ left the earth, the Spirit came down, and now the Spirit indwells believers. And if believers are all over the world, the Spirit is indwelling believers all over the world. Therefore, because of the sacrifice and payment of Christ, God could send the Spirit... I will pray the Father and He will send you the Spirit. This is the Trinity. It's God sending the Spirit because of what Christ did. Christ makes us accepted in the Beloved. The Spirit is sent out from God. He comes to do the will of the Father like Christ came to do the will of the Father. It's the Trinity saving us. We're not saved by Spirit and Son. We're saved by Father, Son, and Spirit. Ephesians 1 is right. We have a whole whole segment of Christianity today that says, I was saved by the death of Jesus Christ and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Hmm, wonder what God's doing. He may be golfing today. I don't know what God does up there. Whatever he wants. Maybe he's fishing today. Maybe today's just the day that Jesus and the Spirit are on duty. Say, Brother Harold, you're just making stuff up. I am. And when you ask the average church member what God the Father did in their salvation, they have no clue. And then when you say, oh, but our God prepared this. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He's not limited by time. He already did this great work. The Christ came and died and paid the ransom for them. The Spirit comes and convicts them that Christ has paid the ransom. They believe in God. They believe in Christ because the Spirit has granted them faith and repentance. They come to God and we get there and it's all God's doing. It's the full Trinity. It's Father, Son, and Spirit saving us. Well, our God saves one every once in a while. (laughs) That's what so many Baptist preachers will tell me. Well, every once in a while, God will save somebody around here. No, friend, God's abundantly saving people. Go back and look at that verse with me. The Holy Spirit was shed on us abundantly. Abundantly. You know what that word abundantly means in the Greek? You guys are becoming Greek scholars with me, abundantly. (laughs) Abundantly. So, we're complete in Him. Now listen, if the Father sends the Spirit to me through the purchased possession of the Son, how in the world can I lose my salvation if Father, Son, and Spirit have all worked on my behalf while I was yet a sinner? If you think you can lose your salvation, you have a high view of yourself and a low view of God. His power regenerates. I think that's what I'm supposed to be preaching on, isn't it, Brother Randall? His power regenerates, not mine. Last one. Should have said amen right there. Last point. Verse 7. I'm running out of text, and my text is assigned. Verse 7. That being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Membership. He didn't just save me and turn me loose. He didn't just save me and say, now go enjoy the world. I'll come back and get you when it's time to go to heaven. (laughs) He took some ownership and now I belong to Him. 
Let's look at it, that being justified. The word justified means right with God. If you are justified, you're right with God. If I was preaching on His power justifies, I would say it's God that justifies us. He literally writes out where our line is, paid in full, no debt owed, completely forgiven, everything right, not because we're right, but because Christ was right. And Christ paid our debt, so it cancels our sin, and Christ's payment goes in our place so that we can receive the gift of God in Christ, and Christ could be our sin bearer and carry our burdens to the cross. We're justified. Nothing can change the justification that I have in God. Being justified by His grace. Not our works, not 50-50. I remember when Missy and I got married. (laughs) I just expected her to do everything at home and I'll go out and do man stuff. And she said, we should split the housework 50-50. And I was like, okay. Because I said, you're not doing much around here anyways. Well, I found out that 50% of the housework's a lot. And I said, hey, all right, look, I'm willing to compromise. I'll do 30. No, I I had to realize we can't split everything 50-50. There are things that God's gifted me to do and I ought to do them. And I ought to love her and do what I can do for her as well. There's things that she's gifted to do that I'm not, like hold crying babies, things like that. I couldn't console them. I don't mind changing diapers. Rub some dirt on it, kid. You'll be fine. That's the way I'm wired. Oh, come here, sweetheart. Let's take a look. They're fine. She's better at that than me. Agreed? When it comes to my salvation, there's nothing in there that I'm better at than God. It's all grace. He did it all. He did it all. He justified me by His grace, i.e. birth and adoption. I was reborn and then I received all the rights of a child of God. And what did that make me? It made me heir. That we should be made heirs. When you're an heir, it means you have a share and an inheritance. You say, well, I wonder what God has to split up amongst us Christians. Oh, not much. He's rich in everything. You kidding me? I hear people get hung up on the dimensions of heaven. I weigh 250 pounds and heaven's only this big and if the average Christian's my size, it's going to be tight in there. (laughs) If he just say 4,000 out of every generation, heaven's full. Man, with that logic, you'll end up a Jehovah's Witness thinking only 144,000 are going. (laughs) He's rich in all these things. And I'm his son. You know what that means for me? I got it too. Not not like Kenneth Copeland rebuking storms and sending them away. I don't have that kind of power. But I have this kind of inheritance. That when I go and receive my reward, he will richly reward me for what he's done for me because he's my father. Jesus Christ is my bridegroom. I'm marrying him to the hope. Hope doesn't mean cross your fingers and rub your lucky rabbit's foot. Hope in the Greek means expectation. It means I have reason to expect. Based upon what God has said. Look, if God said it, 
You can pretty much bank on it. Hope of what? Eternal life. Because I've been reborn clean by the power of Jesus Christ, I now have what Jesus Christ already had before he came to earth. He's eternal. Jesus Christ had no beginning. He had no end. Time is not something that he was bound by. He always was. He always will be. I had a beginning. 1975. I have no ending because of Jesus Christ. His power regenerates. Now, I don't know how long I've preached. But I know this. If you are relying on something you've done to have what God has done for me, you don't have it. If you're relying on something that you've done, some prayer you've made, some experience you had, I don't care if you had goosebumps. I don't care if you cried tears. I don't care if you went out behind the barn and drove a tomato steak in the backyard and danced around it or carved your name in a tree. I don't care about any of that stuff. Did Jesus Christ die on the cross to pardon you of your sins? Did the Holy Spirit, sin of God, come and convict you of that? That you have no hope, you're utterly undone. There's absolutely nothing you could do to alter that relationship that you have, estranged from God by your sin. Did you get down on your knees and say, save me or I die, I'm undone, I have no hope. Did you look to Christ and see Jesus Christ as your only Savior? Did you look to the work of Christ on the cross who knew no sin, dying for us as a sinner, being crucified, the most cruel and, and horrific death? Did you look at that death on the cross and say, everything that He did, He didn't deserve, I did. But by faith, I believe what Christ did was sufficient for everything I've done. That's faith. That's not a one-time thing. That's an everyday thing. And then you turn from those sins. <laughs> you say, Lord, I, I don't want to keep doing that. That's what put him there. Are you still doing that? Brother Howard, how do you know that really worked? I became a new creature. I'm now a repenter and a believer. From that day forward, every day of my life, I'm like, God, I don't want to do again what I did yesterday. So forgive me for that, not because you owe it to me, but for Christ's sake. And help me not to do it again today. Friend, if you don't have that kind of relationship with God, nothing's happened to you. You've not been regenerated by His power. You've been faking it by your power. This whole sermon's been a bore to you. This whole sermon has been over your head and uninteresting. And I don't apologize for it. It's the only message that will turn the light switch on. And reveal to you that Jesus Christ is already Lord even though you haven't accepted that. And He doesn't need your acceptance. He's just turned the light on. Pulled the sheet back and says, here am I. Believe on me. I pray, friend. I pray you'd believe in that. You know why? If you'd believe that, you'd like me. We'd be on the same team. You'd say, I like that little fat fella from Arkansas. He's on my team. God did for him what he did for me. I'm going to go spend eternity with that little fella. Like it or not. Let's pray. Friend, if that's you, go out home tonight and be honest with God. Quit kidding yourself. You're not fooling him. 
Lord, thank you for letting me come to Texas and preach to these people. I pray, Lord, that they would see. I don't have any special gifts. It's just a, a desire to share with them what you've done for me from your word so they know it's, I'm not making stuff up. Lord, I pray they'd look at your word and they'd check and they'd say, is what he said true? And I pray, Lord, if they are interested in fact-checking and proving that what I've said is indeed biblical, that you'd lead them to the passages of Scripture, that you'd open their heart and you'd turn the light on Jesus Christ, that they would see him high and lifted up as Lord of their life, that you'd grant them faith and make them a repenter, put them into your kingdom, give them a share of the inheritance that Christ purchased for us, so that we may spend an eternity together worshiping and praising you. Do it for your glory. And out of your great mercy, amen.